We're taking a short break this week. We'll have fresh interviews with Australia's technology leaders soon. This episode is brought to you by Cisco. Cisco has pledged to positively impact 1 billion people by 2025, embracing the transformative power of technology to create a more inclusive world. Head to cisco.com.au to learn more about this pledge. Hello and welcome to this week's CXO Challenge interview on the IT News podcast. This week we're talking to Aaron Whitehand, who is the Director of Software Engineering at Deakin University. Deakin is in the process of modernising its approach to software delivery by adopting standard tooling and ways of work to get code into production faster. We begin with Aaron talking about the evolution of software engineering as a practice and discipline at the university. As always, we hope you enjoy the conversation. The first question I had was really just as a bit of a setting the scene, um, I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about software engineering at Deakin University, how it's structured, how big the team is, what your remit is, that kind of thing. So the software engineering team is a relatively new team in the sense of the name or the uh, software engineering. So my role as director of software engineering, I've been in for about a year. So the team's comprised of about 45 people which span the remit of application architecture, software development, um, testing, software operations, and DevOps, I suppose, uh, practices. In terms of software engineering as, as a discipline, I think Deacon is, has been over the last few years embarking on a, on a relatively aggressive modernization of practice. And so in line with a DevOps strategy and cloud native application development practices, we've been looking to modernize how we approach things there. And a key piece of that is automation, which is obviously a part of any DevOps kind of transformation and, and focuses on taking all those manual steps out of the process and what, what kind of what today's about, but I'll, I'll just pause there. Can you maybe step back a bit and explain how software development was managed prior to the software engineering team being put in place? I suppose the software development practices at Deakin were somewhat contemporary in, in large IT organisations. Modernisation of practice can sometimes occur slowly over time. And so we, we have a very strong contemporary software development practices here, um, but have followed you know, waterfall style approaches in our delivery for some years up until seven or eight years ago when we introduced more agile ways of working. And so that has been a large change, I think, for our team, but one that we've taken in our stride. And now we work in a more iterative delivery fashion and our development team and our development process has needed to change from a cultural point of view over that time to be able to respond to what the immediate customer needs are. So being one of the key focuses of DevOps is obviously to have a stronger alignment to our customers and our, our, our business needs. Um, and so that's something that we've needed to focus heavily on over the last two years. Like I said, we've been trying to modernise uh, our approaches. Where did all this come from? How did it begin and what, what was kind of the driver to get this going? That's a good question. For me, it kind of started with an implementation of a platform here at Deakin and a look to do something different in how we deliver applications or services on top of it. And it was really a progressive thing over time where uh, we're exposed to doing something a little bit different. And then we saw as a result of, we're actually working with a partner on an implementation there. So we're exposed to some newer ways of working that really resonated with some people, including myself in the organization. And it was after that engagement that I think we started to think about DevOps more seriously. We started to draft a strategy around 
you know, how we would transform or start to adopt um, DevOps practices. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. And what was it specifically about that engagement that really drew you and drew some of these other interested parties to start to uh, go down this path? Well, being a central IT department, it started for me certainly with the technology. Uh, and, and whilst over time, you know, I'd learned that the keys to success of a DevOps transformation are, are not, the keys aren't necessarily the technology. Being in technology and, and being hands-on at the time was certainly something that was the door in for me. So uh, understanding the value of IT process automation and the different tools that we were using at the time to remove manual steps was was something that was at the forefront of my mind. So I was, I was actioning tasks on a daily basis that were manual and they were very time-consuming. And so for me, the biggest eye-opener was the fact that I could start to automate some of these, these low-value-add activities um, and start to deliver more value quicker to our customers. And do you want to just explain a little bit about maybe some of those previous workflows? So where you were talking about um, manual handoffs or um, the, the mm. way that a feature or a um, new product would transition through eSolutions um, out to production? I can think of a specific workflow in, or I suppose the developer experience or the developer workflow where a lot of the tasks, like I said, that, that I was undertaking on a daily basis would sometimes take me up to two or three hours per code change to realise something in a production sense or that, or that value being delivered. And these were things like code reviews, working with peers, handoffs to, to either security or handoffs to, to testers for other manual effort to take place. And obviously these workflows are code-based by code-based consideration. We've had duplication of tools, you know, varying levels of maturity over time. Now, some teams not even using any forms of IT process automation, and that manual effort was quite large in those teams. And I suppose having a solution where we could rationalise those tools, achieve some consistency and, and, and really provide enablement for teams at scale whilst achieving efficiency, we, we just struggled to do that otherwise. So, so having you know, this tool in place now enables us to do that. Just going back to something you mentioned, though, um, that there were process automation variations uh, between the different platform owners or between the different teams. Yes. Um, so are you able to elaborate on how that impacted yourselves as software engineering? What were you kind of receiving? So you, you obviously you had all these different teams feeding stuff into um, your area for some sort of actioning, but uh, the the pipelines were all different and, and there were different ways that uh, they were developing things. How did it look to you? So largely with duplication of tools meant duplication of, of workflow, duplication of governance processes, you know, duplication full stop. So what we started to see was that in a large team, we need to ensure a level of consistency and, and subject matter expertise you know, to adequately support certain practices. And so with the duplication of tools, with the need to couple less mature tools with other open source or commercial offerings to provide certain features, we were either you know, duplicating spend or having to educate a large number of people on a large number of solutions, a large number of platforms. And so as we started to scale, uh, that became very difficult. Uh, very complex, very time-consuming for us to do. So that was, I think, the main consideration. Something that you mentioned just then was around the number of tools that mm. were in play. And 
I wanted to ask about this because this is obviously something that happens a lot within um, software development environments is that uh, developers want to use particular tools or they want to bring tools into organizations and that they want to have a lot of choice in terms of the tools that they're using. So I wondered how you balanced that kind of thing, which is obviously quite important to uh, attracting developers and retaining developers, how you balance that against the idea that you wanted to sort of standardize around a particular stack or particular tool set? I think as we started to, to scale and focus, I suppose, somewhat on some differentiating products for us over the years, we've seen a change in speed or a change in willingness in different areas to adopt you know, newer technologies. But certainly what's coupled with that is as we've started to scale into more and more teams, we've realized that we need to create guardrails for teams that not only enable the teams to be autonomous, but also from an organizational point of view, create consistency and efficiency in our spend with respect to certain tools. So being a large enterprise, we started to see different pockets or different teams, you know, purchase different things, which were duplication of business capability, if you like, and understanding that certainly during the current environment, we need to be conscious of our spend, rationalization came to the forefront and we started to look at how we could rationalize tools, but in line with that, how we can provide consistency and enablement of teams at scale. So we started to not only start to promote a consistent tool for use, but we also created a platform engineering team, a, a central team that could actually enable other teams with a standard consistent approach. And so what we saw then was the ability for teams to uplift their capability and adopt something relatively easily, whereas previously we didn't have that. And so teams would pave their own way. Mm. And so coming from that situation, how did you get the different developer teams to agree on one single stack? Were they involved in the decision-making process? Yeah, we're certainly very inclusive and collaborative across the team when it comes to these kind of decisions. And I can recall when we actually started to do some research and to look into what our requirements were and what tools could meet our requirements, we came across a lot of industry benchmarking that showed GitLab being a leader in this type of capability. But not only that, when we did engage with our teams in trials or proof of concepts, there was a clear differentiator and we were testing or validating three separate tools at this stage. And the feedback from the team was that it was very intuitive, it was easy to use, you know, it was well documented. But also, I think the open core business model that they have aligns a lot to open source industry. And so that really resonated with us too and resonated with the developers that there was an avenue to give back to that community as well. And so maybe it's a good chance to talk a little bit about the platform that you've gone to and understand that you initially went to GitLab for education and now that you're moving up to uh, GitLab Unite. Um, and maybe if you could just talk a little bit about how you made the selection. So you mentioned some proof of concepts, uh, when that was, and then sort of how you have ended up where you are now and um, where you're moving to. Uh, it was close to 18 months ago, we started to do this research and to look into standardizing and modernizing our approach to the delivery of software. And we did run through three separate proof of concepts, which included requirements analysis, as well as some technical proof of concepts as well. And so we engaged quite a few developers from across our teams to be involved in that. And we really just let the developers feedback 
tell the story. And so we obviously needed to make sure that we selected a tool that met our requirements, but it was the ease of use, uh, which really the developers that came back very strong in their feedback. And so we started off with a very small 100 seat license, which was very deliberate through a proof of adoption phase for us. While we look to uplift capability, we wanted to ensure success through like a gradual phased approach. And while we were modernizing our practices behind the scenes as well, there was a lot to consider in how we would implement a tool like this in that gradual approach to ensure that our developers understood the concepts and not just the technology. And so where we've moved to now is an uplift of our license to what's called the Unite license. And so effectively that gives us unlimited users. And we can use this now to accelerate the adoption of the platform. And that includes working with our education and research colleagues to expand the use of the platform into those areas. Oh, okay. And can you explain a little bit about what that expansion enables or what that entails? What the expansion looks like from an e-solutions point of view across the different delivery teams that we have is that we can now look to continue to grow almost like a community of practice model to bring in champions across teams and to actually dedicate effort to uplift capability in bringing these teams into the tool. But also from an education and research point of view, we're working with those areas of the business to understand how they can leverage the tool and how it would benefit them. And there's no question that DevOps is a standard practice in the industry at the moment. And I'm a strong believer in that organizations that don't embrace it won't achieve the same level of success as their peers. And this kind of exposure and success is true also in the new generation of learners that we have coming through Deakin and providing that industry best practice tooling and experience improves their level of employability. And so as they step into the workforce, they're going to be taking with them all of the tools and the experiences that are best practice in the industry. So as a part of our plan now, we have started to engage some key stakeholders across those areas on those possibilities of integrating the services into different learning outcomes and research outcomes. But we also can use these best practice offerings to give student interns hands-on experience in the tools from an enterprise context as well. Just one other question I had was around the shift left, which you'd mentioned earlier up in the conversation. Can you talk a little bit about how you've shifted security and shifted testing and other things <laughs> left through this transformation of software engineering practice, for example? Around about the same time, about 18 months ago, I started working with our, our cybersecurity team on an awareness program. And so we, we really wanted to just peel everything back and start from the basics and so we have a yearly kind of awareness program that we run, which is somewhat gamified so that developers can, it's a bit of fun for them, but really starting with the awareness and understanding and education as a foundation for what was to come. And so we wanted to do that, like I said before, because we're looking to modernize a lot of our practices. And what came with that was that shift left in a lot of practices, security and testing, like you mentioned. And so similarly with testing, we have had, I suppose, the test team move in as a part of our software engineering team now. So what that gives us is a level of exposure across our development teams to test approaches. And we can start to build that foundational piece in. We did start to build that foundational piece in as well. And so what we've then been able to transition to is a level of tooling that really brings this to the forefront as well. And so in addition to our agile teams and having those built in a fully autonomous way, these different types of SMEs working together, they can then use a common tool set uh, which bring these types of practices to the forefront of what it is that they do. Um, and so these types of CICD tools allow immediate feedback loops or those really quick feedback loops to teams for teams to be able to resolve issues. So 
we move more from a siloed mindset into a one-team mindset. Just as a final question from me, one thing I'm asking everyone is what excites you about 2021 and also beyond? Obviously, we've talked about some of the really interesting things that you're doing in terms of expanding this into research and potentially students, but um, within your realm of software engineering, what's getting you excited? It's a good question. I think what gets me excited is the transition that we're seeing in the industry of moving towards more aligned business outcomes. And so where IT organisations were seen as silos or service delivery areas in the past, IT really needs to be embedded within the business and a part of the business to ensure success. And so I think that's a, a key for all organisations into the future and certainly something that excites me more and more to come to work every day. That was Aaron Whitehand from Deakin University, and that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.